Hey guys, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I tried different diets, exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that really thrives on you not getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love. Play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business all while feeling great. To give a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to access my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and that the show is really sponsored by you guys. Each of you that works with me that I am able to take on as a client helps me to be able to keep putting out these podcasts for free. So I just want to thank you, each of you, for your love and support. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 119. In today's episode, I interview crazy smart dude, Dr. Andy Galpin. Make sure to stick around for the end of the show to hear all that we have to discuss from his podcast, challenging his assumptions, and what to get out of his upcoming book, Unplugged, due out on July 11th. All right, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. And on the line today, I have Dr. Andy Galpin. Andy, first question I ask everybody who comes on the show is, share with us your health journey up to this point. Oh, man. Boy, that's a deep one. <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, well, two things before we get started. Number one, fantastic name for a podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Just great. Uh, and number two, I do have to apologize if you hear any uh, barking in the background. My my dogs tend to get riled up if anybody you know walks within a two mile radius of the house or anything. <laughs> don't don't sweat it. I mean, uh, my, actually, my dogs I think just got picked up, so they might be out for right now at least. Okay, well, you might hear Ghostface Killer in the background doing some barking, but just I ignore it. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, so uh, the quick and dirty of me, uh, you know, I grew up like a lot of. Um, people in this area in, in fitness and performance, especially the academics, where uh, I like to consider myself, uh, I was that optimal blend of a good enough athlete to where I was incentivized to keep going and, and won awards and had a lot of success, but not good enough to where things were super easy. Um, so I had to, I was given that drive and motivation to be like, look, you got to do everything possible to optimize your training and your health and performance because if you don't, you know, you're succeeding now, but you won't make the next level or you'll make the next level, but you won't be all American. You'll just be a starter or whatever it happens to be. So that's really the the overarching principle of me is, is fairly decent athlete, but but somewhere in the middle. And growing up, I played everything you can imagine. Um uh, competitively football, baseball, basketball uh, were the big ones, a little bit track and field. I played college football, um, and I probably started lifting weights when I was 13, 14, something like that, um, just because it was it was established kind of in my high school. 
Um, and I had an older brother about a year and a half older than me who's 20% bigger than me. <laughs> like, like just naturally, yeah. plus he was older. So um, it was just, it was a culture I was fortunate enough to grow up in. Now we didn't, we didn't know shit. Like we didn't have any idea what we were doing. Uh, which is, you know, like you guys will love this story. I, I woke up one day when I was, I think, 16 and my shoulder hurt. And this was in basketball season. And uh, I could shoot fine. This is no problem. But if I threw like a one armed pass, it just killed me. And so I was like, well, what do, you know, my dad's like, well, I guess we get like a shoulder, like neoprene sleeve or something. And I'm like, well, that's not going to help. Uh, but it didn't really hurt too much throughout the day. And then as baseball season started, I was like, I can't throw up baseball. I, mean, I couldn't do anything. So I just, I DH'd the whole year because I couldn't move my arm. Eventually went and saw a physician and they're like, yeah, yeah, you've got a torn labrum. <laughs> so it's not just like a little sprain or strain there. I mean, well, I mean, it wasn't that big a deal, but like the, the funny part was, I mean, this is like so classic of the story, uh, you know, basically all I did was all pressing movements. I, I did no pull-ups of any kind. I did a couple of lat pull-downs, but no horizontal rowing, uh, and, and just maybe 10% of pulling that I did pressing. And so you just like wake up one. There was no major event. I just woke up one day and I was like, man, my shoulder hurts. And there you go. So like all those cliches that you talk about in the physical therapy world and stuff, turns out some of them are true. But see, that's actually a great point to bring up because I have so – I mean most people that come to see me will always say, you know what? I didn't do anything. Like there, there was never a traumatic <laughs> event, right? And right. usually there isn't. But trying to get people to understand that you – no, know, most of stuff that like when you're in pain is just breakdown over time that like you said – 90% pressing, 10% maybe pulling or just like something to do oh, yeah. the opposite movement. It brings you out of balance. Yeah, it was awful. Just everything that you're that we learned that we know now, but before then it's just like, all right, here's a here are the the bench press you have in your garage and here are the, the concrete filled weight plates if you remember those yeah, things. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just like, okay, and uh, you know, we would do the main lift bench was the main lift, of course, and if you did any pulling, it was an accessory lift and kind of at the end and it was usually way lighter for much higher volume, but you never matched the volume even close and you definitely didn't match the strength so um there you go all right well i'm curious because you've you've done a lot of lifting throughout now since then even you've learned a lot i mean with the schooling i'm sure just the courses like everything that you've taken i mean competed weightlifting high levels all of that what's something that you could still maybe learn from your uh younger teenage self from lifting even now looking back on it so like in other words something i would do differently or something? No, like that. something that you actually would uh, re-implement from that stage. Oh, yeah, that, that's good. So that's actually a really good question. Um, the one thing I've been harping on lately with people is, look, you, you have these swings in culture. So this is it doesn't even matter if we're talking about health or, or sport performance or exercise. This is just market moving. So basically what happens is, is you're all the way on the left-hand side, and you identify a hole in the market, and then the market swings all the way to the right, and then it swings all the way back right. You get this pendulum effect. Well, I think you know, the generation that, that you and I grew up in, we were on the left-hand side of, of basically, we'll just call it bodybuilding, right? I mean, this yeah, is... Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, 
I had right. the flex, the, I mean, the, the muscle and fitness, I mean, everything just every month, just pouring through that for sure. Totally. There was no weightlifting. There was no power lifting. There was no strong man. There was nothing else like this. And it, if there was, there was no market because there was no internet. Exactly. These ideas didn't get filtered through. Right. So we grew up in a generation of, of, you know, it's, it's, it's body part splits. It's, it's one muscle at a time, this kind of thing. Well, that left a big hole and you saw CrossFit come in, you saw weightlifting come in and powerlifting and fill this gap of, hey, maybe this bodybuilding stuff is not functional. It doesn't make a better athlete per se. It's not necessarily the best thing for optimal health long term, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what happened was we swung in the entire opposite end of the spectrum, which is to say just because bodybuilding is not optimal for all performance situations – that doesn't actually mean all of the bodybuilding concepts are bad. And so to answer your question directly, one thing that I, that I would go back on and say, actually I did better back then, was the muscle isolation stuff. I mean, this is an important part. The problem wasn't, we'll just take bench as a good example. So when I was younger, right, I was bench was all the hype and it was great. And it was a huge focus. And then I swung completely against it and for probably like eight years, didn't touch a bench press because I'm like, it's stupid. There's no performance, et cetera. Like all the arguments we've said. I'm right? on my back. I never press off my back. Like, yeah, yeah. Right. And then I realized just maybe a few years ago, I'm like, well, okay, that's probably not the best approach either. And so right now the position I'm in, it's like, well, okay, bench is an important movement, um, but it just shouldn't be my primary focus of my training. But that doesn't mean I should eliminate it entirely. Same thing with isolation. So I have actually gone back uh, at doing bicep curls, doing some leg extension stuff, doing some single leg hamstring work and doing volumes. And, and that actually has made me feel a lot better. I can fix imbalances. Um, I can shear up holes and deficits in performance and, and other issues. I can identify imbalances when one hamstring is all of a sudden way stronger than the other one, whatever it happens to be. So that's one thing I go back and say, actually, that part of my training, I should at least have a portion of it it just it shouldn't be the sole focus and, and that's actually put me in a much better spot so what are you training for right now then just kicking ass man just training for kicking <laughs> ass uh i've been, been going through a bunch of actually you know another injury from when i was a child uh i've had four knee surgeries um no meniscus left no cartilage left uh so Really, right now, it's trying to be as well-rounded as I possibly can and getting some of those issues cleared up. And then hopefully I can get back to competing in jiu-jitsu. Uh, that would probably be the next competition goal. But right now, it's it's trying to be able to function on a wide spectrum, which is everything from being strong with pulling and suppressing upper body and lower body, um, trying to be somewhat fast still, having great muscular endurance, having some sustained long duration endurance, being able to do stuff underwater, being able to do stuff on a bike, and, and really trying to round out my entire physicality so that I'm, I'm just, I'm available to do things outside of barbell dumbbell. Outside of maybe just the spectrum of lifting, like, okay, talking about the wear and tear on the joints, the, the meniscus, whatever, I mean, look at every joint in the body. And as a culture, I mean, it used to be people were 70, 80 years old when that kind of started. And then it was 50, 60. I mean, now I'm seeing people where they're coming out of college and they're, I've seen these x-rays and there's absolutely nothing left. Like, 
What is right. it that you're doing even maybe for yourself to really just, whether it's nutrition, whether it's uh, any other therapies that you're using to really try and help your joints out the best you can? Well, I think honestly, all that stuff is tertiary at best. Um, it's, it's maybe even further down the road than that. Uh, this is something that I personally have to thank you know Kelly Starrett for and a thousand other physical therapists that he built off of and 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 uh, you know he was just the one of course that that launched it in front of our faces but it, it's it's movement like it's just moving better that's honestly the biggest uh, thing I've found like when you move properly these things just start to go away and they don't build up and then you can use nutrition the ice therapy you can use blood flow restriction a bunch of other little tools and tactics to kind of piece things together when you have little issues but honestly it is it's the realization that that he and all the again other physical therapists and other movement people that you know when i was a kid said are stupid and they're just a bunch of sissies and they don't want to lift weights you know like uh it's like okay let's maybe pay attention to quality of movement and, and that's the biggest thing i worry about now in terms of caring for the joints no and i think that's a great point it's one of those if something like okay the dam's getting ready to break well don't just like try and patch up a few twigs at the top like stop it from yeah. bursting first uh yeah. and then you can go and patch the little holes afterwards yeah exactly i mean let's just really fix the root of the problem uh and then worry about there so there's a lot of things i play with now in, in the movement space um the other thing too is you know i remember when i was uh gosh probably two or three years maybe four or five years ago i realized i kind of woke up one day or not literally woke up but figuratively and was like man i haven't done anything besides lift weights in years like i haven't moved in any unexpected directions i i mean i remember thinking back as a kid i'm like you do everything and you wrestle and you jump up and you run around and i was like i am just lifting weights and jogging in a straight line or sprinting in a straight line and so for me i had to widen my movement practice and try to expose myself to a bigger array of things um that honestly like it sounds all fancy but like i just was playing just playing like a little kid would play and i'm like man i feel so much better when i don't have like perfect posture and toes lined up and everything's great and i take my breath and i pull my dumbbell in the straight line or my barbell and great my position's fantastic um i mean strongman is is, is an amazing example of this like Let's just take a huge thing and put it on our back kind of and walk awkwardly really heavy and pull it and drag it this way. Like that stuff just makes you feel amazing. So that that's, I think, um, something that I think is very productive for most people in the long-term health um, aspect. I would have to agree. And the two biggest strongman things that I've realized for myself probably really over the last year were doing yoke but i just got a a new uh set of there's from spud like just yoke like big nylon straps that hang from each bar and just come down and they're super awkward like the yeah, regular yeah. yoke you can kind of keep pretty stable sure sure uh, but this is moving like crazy and i mean i can't load i mean i'm maybe at like 60 percent max of what i am on a regular yoke but that transverse frontal plane like i am just like looking like i'm having a seizure i have to work yeah. so hard to stabilize it between that and the stones because people are just afraid and i think what you just said there was exact perfect form like the spine always has to move as one no it really right. doesn't like you need to learn that to start 
but your spine should have a ton of flexion, a ton of extension, rotation. Oh, yeah. You should still be able to do all of these movements. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, that, that's one of the reasons why I love started when I started doing jujitsu so much. I'm like, man, I get to do all these things and move in areas that, that I don't have, and I have resistance in places that are not normal, and I don't always get to control that. I don't get to set and brace and, and twist everything and line everything up perfectly. Like, it, it's amazing that way. I mean, you still have some of the basic principles where, hey, if you're in extreme lumbar flexion and you're going to rotate with load, like, this is probably a bad thing, generally. But, like, outside of that, like, there's still just a lot of positions you get into that make you feel a lot better. And, you know, when, when I was in high school, I remember probably my junior year, uh, we started playing with bands and chains, and and I loved it. And I loved doing, uh, we didn't have them back then, but we made up our own version of, um, what are the straps that hang down? Uh, oh, TRXs. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So we didn't have them by then. We basically made up our own, you know, things. And we were doing movements and, and hip flexing, flexing stuff and different sit-ups and other stuff on those, the hamstring work. And I was like, God, oh, this stuff feels great. And now everyone's fortunate because there's a, there's entire industries around these um, non-traditional movement things. Uh, I've got this really cool product. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it called Havoc, H-A-V-Y-K. And they, they make just a bunch of really, really high, high quality, uh, basically sliders and kind yeah, of fun- yeah. funky weighted dumbbells and and things like that and i just i love putting those things on during my yoke walks or like an overhead walk with those things on and and the instabilities moving around strapping uh kettlebells on some bands and hanging those off of a bar during your walks or you're already like all that stuff i have generally found that if your goal is like if i'm six weeks out from a weightlifting competition like i'm not playing with any of those things you know like I'm, i'm on a barbell or a powerlifting competition but if I'm not trying to maximize that very specific goal, I have generally found uh, that an equal balance between standard barbell dumbbell stuff and some of these implements and tools it has kept me far healthier. Um, it just keeps you from being very, very isolated in your movement. And so the stress is not necessarily in the exact same place at all times. And it, it's just way funner for me. And uh, way more fun for my wife and, and her friends when they come over to train because they're like these you know thirty year old girls and they're like what the hell we're gonna drag this thing and <laughs> <laughs> this thing's swinging everywhere and it's over my head and I'm walking doing lunges and we're, there's a car coming on the street and I'm like suck it up like go you know and uh, so it is it's really fun I, I like that stuff a lot. This goes back and uh, this really basically spring you guys launched a, a big podcast Body of Knowledge and yeah I think. One of the episodes you're talking about, or maybe it was just the one that just came out um, where you guys are kind of wrapping up, but talk about like, it's almost a scary thing though, that all of this stuff is out there now, but it's also that you can just find that confirmation bias on any of it, uh, which isn't necessarily a good thing. Like you said for us, like we only had a few things growing up like that we could look at. Uh, yeah. So oh, God, we only yeah. had that, but now you have literally everything at your fingertips. Like how do you recommend somebody to where, where do you start? I mean, I, I think that's maybe the, the easiest way to think about it. Yeah, I, I think that we just have to instill a different mindset going in. I mean, that's that's the reality of it is. And that's always been true. But now it is it is shifted so much where I think that is that is the, the focus. That is the biggest aspect of 
uh, your entire mentality is is going in with the right mindset and it just wasn't as big of a deal before because the cream would rise the the you know the cream of the crop would rise right before but now because it it, it could it had to because there were only so many mediums that it would be out in that's true right 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 now it's just like well it depends if if you have your you know SEO optimized and if you've got your if you bought the Instagram bot that gets you more likes and views and you buy fake followers, like you just people don't know right and you can uh, you can literally hack the system to get verified and, and all these things and so there's no quality control it's going to become impossible so the the thing that I think you have to walk into is by saying look uh, I'm actually going to take everything as genuine right so uh, when when you put a product out I'm gonna assume you're being genuine and then I'm going to those say okay well let me implement for a while and let me give myself an honest uh, uh, an honest outlook and say like is this really giving the benefit that I think it is and then I think you have to look for errors look for holes in the logic so what I mean by that is like have you seen that movie um, we just wrote about this in the book um, I think it's World War Z yeah yeah with uh, um, Brad Pitt's in it yeah I think oh, my pop culture is terrible but look, follow <laughs> me so you guys can correct me at home if it's the wrong movie but you get the basic idea or they fly to I think he lands in Israel or something and uh, they've they have this whole city built up because there's a zombie apocalypse and, and their whole city is built up and ready and Brad Pitt's character is like how the hell did you like we just found out about this yesterday and you guys have a 70 foot wall built and ready to go like you guys were way ahead of the game basically how did you know this was coming and the guy says something to the effect of look we heard a rumor about this a year ago or something and we have a council of 10 people and we have an outstanding rule in the council that says if anything ever happens where nine people agree the tenth person is obligated to disagree and so he's like, what happened is the nine of us all agree this is bullshit. There's no zombies. And it was my job to prove those nine wrong. And so he was out searching and searching and hunting and hunting, started actually finding evidence. Oh, my God, this is really going on. And so he found that there really was and they were able to be prepared. So I, th I think things like that are a really, really, really good example of like if you love X or A or B or this company – like search out the person who's constantly telling you that they're wrong or who says that's the wrong approach and actually spend time vetting that person and go, hmm, like, well, maybe, maybe that person's actually has, maybe, maybe there is a zombie coming. Um, and the other thing I think you can do is the way I teach my students to handle this is you have to zoom out and understand the perspective at which that person or company is is viewing truth because uh, like I always say like there's just virtually no such thing as scientific truth there's virtually no such thing as universal truth like this this almost doesn't exist in anything that you can possibly think I mean like the funny example is I'm sure you probably saw this but a few years ago they came out with a new paper that said actually there are five quadricep muscles not four it's like, it changed, it, now it has to be the, the quintriceps muscle or whatever. Right? <laughs> yeah, like how did we find out last year that there was a, another muscle there, right? 
Now, there's there's scientific debate and whatever. That's not the point. The point is, like, I mean, you anything you think is like, well, there's no way this is wrong. Maybe. So I think the way to approach that then is saying, okay, if, for example, let's take a, a, um, a Mike Boyle, right? Mm -hmm. a, a phenomenal guy, right? Did a lot of awesome stuff. But everything he says, for the most part, is coming from a very specific lens. Right, which in other words, he sees the world in a certain way, right? And so what he says is probably very, very, very true for the most part because he's a very smart guy from the lens in which he's looking. But it won't necessarily be true from another perspective. For example, if you take, uh, let's just say Mike had a, a blog post that had my top 10 most important things you have to do when you lift. Okay, I don't, I don't know if he does or whatever, it doesn't matter. And you were a 35-year-old mom who has an exercise since you were 15, and you looked at that list, that, that that stuff's probably not that important to you. That's not the 10 most important things you need to worry about. And that's not to say anything in his list is wrong, but he's viewing it from the lens of probably talking about people that are vigorously strength training and they're in their maybe 20s and they're trying to compete in a sport or something like that. And probably for him, it's even more hockey-based. I mean, that's where his niche has started from, too. So you can narrow that down even further, yeah. And he's hyper-focused on the physical therapy aspect of it, injury prevention, movement quality, stuff to stuff. If you took his principles and tried to win a world championship in strongman, like, you'd fall on your face. Like, there's no <laughs> way you'd get there. But the same thing, if I took, uh, I mean, pick your favorite strongman, if I took their seminar and said the three things you have to do when you squat... Again, that might be true, but only from that lens. So that's what we have to do is we have to look out and go. And the problem is sometimes these experts are not necessarily very good at explaining that to the audience at all times. Right? And so when I say, hey, paleo diet's a, a great diet, well, let's see. Who's my clientele base? Oh, they are A, B, or C. Oh, okay, great. So then maybe there is some truth there in the message. But apply to these other folks, may, maybe that's not the most important thing. So it's not that it's wrong, it's just a different perspective. I, th I think you were the one that said this. I listen to a lot of podcasts, so correct me if I'm wrong. But <laughs> well, I think if it's you smart, I'll take credit for it. <laughs> well, actually it is. It's, it's a profound concept. Like, uh, I think you said to, about the, somebody like, one of your friends actually asked you like, hey, should I try paleo? And you said like, if this was me a couple of years ago, I would have said like, well, no, because it's like X, Y, Z really doesn't work. But right now it was just one of those, like, if you didn't say yes, then he was just going to, his mind was going to explode because there were going to be so many different factors brought into it. For sure. I mean, I got a hundred, hundreds of examples of that. And I'm sure you do too in the clinic where, but now I mean, I'm aware of it. I didn't used to be, it used to be, well, pillow. Yeah, it's okay. But then I would just list all these other things, like why I disagreed with it for certain reasons, for certain people, but not necessarily for that person. Right, not helpful, is it? Like, it's it's not effective communication. Right. And yeah, I mean, you can see this, like, I, a great example of a friend that that uh, asked me that question, and I could tell by his appearance and his demeanor and the look in his voice, he was really, for his first time in his life, really excited to start a new diet. Like, this is not something he normally does, and he was super excited to start paleo. And so had I said anything else, like it would have probably killed all of his motivation and he went, would have gone back to eating pizza every day. <laughs> yeah. And I have to give credit to Marie Spano. Uh, I don't know if you've come across her, but she's a dietitian nutritionist for the Atlanta Hawks. 
Um, she's at NSCA a lot. She's really, really sharp. And she said this at her talk a couple of years ago that she said, look, it, it, you know, this is again from the nutrition aspect of it. When I start working with someone, I never change their diet if they're on a very, uh, if they're on a named diet, paleo, whole 30, Mediterranean, whatever, whatever. What I just try to do is, is take what they're doing, make a very small improvement, and then over time, I try to get them back towards where I think they should actually be. But especially if they're excited and they're liking what they're doing, like this is a bad, bad play. It's never going to work from the personal level. And so that's, yeah, that's a great example of, um, I could sit here and tell you about, well, that's not actually what Paleolithic men ate. Um, like, who cares? Like, is that really the point? Is that really the point? <laughs> No, so let's just talk about something that's actually more because that person doesn't care. You know, and it doesn't matter that Paleolithic man actually ate grains and stuff. Like, who cares? It's a name. That's not the point of the diet. So, uh, I mean, yeah. So let's take this uh, almost maybe the exact opposite direction. We're talking about paleo right now, um, but you have a book coming out and it's unplugged. Yeah. And I think, uh, well, more being on that technology end, we're going from Paleolithic to plugged right. into a computer right now. Right. Uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing maybe what it's about a little bit to just give people an overview, but what is maybe like the biggest thing for yourself that when you were writing, researching this, uh, what's been like either your biggest um, profound change that you've kind of uh, had for your own life? Yeah, so um, the, the book came about with uh, a friend of mine and frequent collaborator, Brian McKenzie. And, and he approached me and he was like, I got this idea, etc. And I honestly, I was not super excited about it. And I was like, oh, man, like I just don't care. And then once, once we started kind of putting our brains to it, I realized, actually, this is, this is something really powerful and that's really, really needed because he wanted to write this book called Unplug, which was sort of a guide to why we need to detach from technology a little bit. And my initial reaction, because I wasn't listening to him, actually, I was just assuming I thought I knew what he meant. <laughs> Shocking, right? Was, like, other people have tackled this idea of, you know, 10 ways to, to check your phone less and why you should be on Facebook less. Like, people have already hit that. And so I wasn't super excited to say the same thing. But he was actually talking about doing this from the athlete's perspective, which is more like, you know, how do I use uh, a Fitbit or a heart rate monitor? Even something like Dartfish or a video app or, I mean, pick your favorite thing. Uh, and how those things can be helpful and how they can actually steer you completely wrong and how that can ruin your fitness performance and at some level your, your consciousness and awareness. And that's when I was like, oh, shit, I think we're onto something here. And so we worked really hard on getting through this stuff and saying, like, look, because... What we didn't want to do is take the approach of being like, oh, like throw all your technology away and, you know, go back to a flip phone and, and live out in the woods. And like, if you try to fight technology, you lose, like period. Unless uh, that's your niche. Like we talked about before, like looking at it from the lens, like, okay, if you're going after that population, but that's not the right. population you're after right now. It's not no, going to work. Not, I'm not going to do it. Like, right, right. No so we were like, well, let's actually give, because what's the problem here? The problem is people are going after their fitness and performance goals. And it really sucks because they're putting a lot of money and they're saving up a month or two of salary so they can buy this $500 you 
technology, and 91% of people throw those things away after 90 days. And they're just not using them, and no one's hitting their goals. And then I watch this happen at my wife's job, where she have all these, you know, general population people. She's a she's a teacher. She's a elementary school special ed teacher, and all of her colleagues and stuff, and they're buying these apps and all this stuff, and and they're just getting more and more obese. And I'm like, we we've got to give people a way to integrate these things into lives because the tech companies don't give a shit. In fact, they prefer you to not have success so that they can sell you the next version. Right. And it's not nefarious, this is just business, right? This is there it's not a corporate conspiracy. There's no Illuminati behind you trying to get you obese or anything. It's just like this is how industry works, especially with tech, right? They want you to buy a new seven hundred dollar phone every two years. Like this is the way it goes, right? Well, it's the same reason. I'm not going to just put out one podcast and just say, hey, this is the only one ever. There's a reason I have a new guest on every week. It's the same thing. Right. So and I like, like, we want to say, like, let's create a guide where we can use it. And so, you know, like one good example of the overarching principle of the book is, okay, uh, let's take something basic like a mirror. All right. Now, have you ever tried to squat or deadlift in front of a mirror? Yes. Yeah, okay, right. So... That's just technology, right? It doesn't have to be a $1,000 computer. That, that's technology. So let's talk about how a mirror could be useful and how it could be harmful. Right? So if I'm working with somebody coming in the first day and I'm trying to explain to them hip hinge or something and they're just, they're just not getting it and their back is, is totally flexed and rounded and I can actually show them a mirror and they can bend and they can oh oh, I thought I was straight, but I didn't realize I wasn't. And now I have that visual feedback on myself. And actually, I don't even have to cue them anymore because I can just tell them I want that back to be straight. And they can kind of like shift and, and clunk around and like, like, I don't even, and they don't even have access to the right motor synchronization to get in the right position. But eventually give them two or three minutes and, the, and they'll figure out, okay, when I squeeze this and when I flex this and when I breathe here and I tighten there, oh man, I'm in the right position. Great. So that technology is helpful in queuing, right? And, and are helpful in understanding position in that place. Now the problem with the mirror would be if they have to use that mirror every single time to get in that position, then they're not actually going to get anything out of the training because as soon as they leave your gym and go back to their office, they're going to bend and move in the same shitty position because they are relying on the technology to actually get in the position as opposed to really understanding and feeling the position. So the, the, the quick or the, the take home message of that would be in this example, the technology was helpful in taking somebody from a beginner or complete novice up to a little bit of awareness. But now your next progression in your training for them is okay, can you reproduce and maintain that position without the mirror? Oh, and now can you do it when you get tired? Oh, now can you do it when I make you do things fast? Oh, now can you do it when I ask you to make decisions about moving left moving right and you're not aware and all that stuff so that's just one example of the types of things we try to do and, and we we try to get as many different technologies in in there uh, of how to use them as well as the feedback i mean something like hrv is another good example of um or artificial intelligence we tackle that topic too it's like you know because these things are coming um but there's a major 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 problem with them at the fundamental level of they might be extremely good at giving you a ton of information 
But like you talked about earlier, it the problem with artificial intelligence, it's a hyper echo chamber. It's only as good as what you tell it to do. And you haven't really stepped back and asked the question, like, are you sure that's what you want? So, I mean, that's the problem. Like the very, very, very easy example with artificial intelligence is, you know, if you program it to say like, hey, I want you to optimize everyone's health. Um, well, that probably means a lot of people are going to be killed. And it also means there's no athletic performance because training for maximal performance is not the same as training for optimal health. And so it will do exactly what you tell it to do, but are you sure you really told it that you want you to make sure my neutral spine is in, or my spine is neutral at all times, never ever let it come out of neutral? Well, I mean, as we talked about earlier, that, that's not necessarily good either. So, Yeah, it's going to take quite a bit of refining. Uh, it's it'll, it'll never get there. It, just the fundamental point, baseline of it it'll never ever be able to achieve that because it doesn't understand what you want and you don't understand what you want well i'm curious i'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate because i'm curious on your response to this one then so what if what about it when it truly becomes self-educating then so it can start to uh take the other feedback immediately process it and spit back more results more results like rather than it's going to be very algorithmic to start i think and it's mm -hmm. going to be just like based on like those very sequential things. But now what happens as it does when it can learn and when it can uh, adjust to an, in, an individual uh, as it goes? So that's a great thing because it, it makes the point even for even more so on my end, which is the whole idea of AI is it will learn over time, right? But if it's learning to optimize, if its end goal is not the one you actually want, it doesn't know and it won't care. That's the fundamental problem. <laughs> yeah. It just hit me the second you said that. Now I'm completely, I, I, I follow exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it, like here's the, boy, here's the, um, the bit of a nihilist interpretation on this. But for example, we spent about 2 million years as a species trying to reduce the amount of suffering that we go through to make our lives easier right let's invent uh fire so that we can make food and let's invent shelter and let's invent all these things right agricultural revolution industrial revolution these are all things that we did to engineer to reduce suffering so that we can maximize the likelihood of our species surviving right and then uh oh uh it worked that's the problem, right? We spent 2 million years, so consider us as artificial intelligence, right? And we did everything. We used every maximal power of our, or every power of our maximal intelligence to reduce suffering so we increase our livelihood. And then actually we succeeded. And we forgot to ever step back and go like, well, actually is maximizing pleasure and reducing suffering really what we need as a species? And it turns out we are right in the cusp of going, yeah, actually that's not a good thing. I mean, if you look at, look at socioeconomically, right, uh, there is clear evidence that when you have extreme distribution of wealth, there is more mental illness in the extremely wealthy when there's a higher dispersion of wealth. So, yeah, you won. You got optimal everything, and now you're mentally ill, right? Oh, also, hey, let I me mean, look at WALL-E, Matrix. I mean, pick your movie, 1984. Like, whatever your example you prefer, um, V for Vendetta, my favorite one. 
okay, we reduce suffering to a level, but then we have to realize we as a physical species are bound by the molecules and cells in our body. And those things survived through the two million years 100% because they were designed to be optimal in a state of stress. Right? Molecules do not adapt. Your genes do not work. The cells in your body are not do not grow, shrink, die, repair, unless given a very specific stress. And now we have almost entirely eliminated that stress. So what's going to happen? Your body is going to physically fail, which puts us in an ultimatum. Either we have to do one of two things. We have to engineer suffering. Or we have to leave the physical body and turn into like Dr. Manhattan and some energy being. Like, well, until that happens, we've got to find a way to suffer. Because we didn't ask the fundamental question of the artificial intelligence, in this case, us as a species. Where are we? Do we really want to reduce suffering at all costs. And it sounded great and it learned and it evolved and it changed over time like you brought up, but it was still bound to that concept of stress is a bad thing in our body and reducing that is a good thing. And we hit a breaking point and we're, we're far, far, far past that level, which is why we're seeing a breakdown physiologically in so many different areas and that's only going to get exponentially worse in the next you know, few years, not few decades, but but few years. I mean, obesity is a problem of the abundant, right? Like these are only issues of abundance. So we just weren't prepared for that because we didn't really actually think we'd succeed, and we did. So then, looking at it, uh, maybe for yourself. Or Sorry, like, I told you it's going to get a little bit nihilist and a little bit metaphysical no, on that one. No, that that was awesome because now I'm curious then. What are your favorite uh, forms of stress, uh, maybe for yourself, or just like, like recommending, like, okay, people still you, talking about stress. We still need stress, or yeah. we're going to die even earlier and earlier. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, not going so to optimize our lives. I would love to tell you I have a great answer for this, um, but I mean, this is something again that some people. It's actually funny. I found this amazing quote from like 1890 where this guy was talking about how soft all these city folks are getting because they're using too much technology. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think I put it in the podcast, um, the evolution, like chapter eight or something like that. I can't remember, but anyways, uh, I mean, this is something, my point was that we're only in the last four or five decades dealt with, you know, like since the mid forties, fifties, sixties, have we really in America at least been, had so much food, had so much shelter technology that life got easy. So this is something I'm working on is my point. Right now, the current things that I think are effective are take your basic daily life and let's find a stressor somewhere. So right now that's hunger. Uh, so that means fasting. That means thirst, getting really thirsty. That means sleep deprivation. Uh, that means cold. That means hot. I mean, we get this with exercise, right? Like people get this, they choose to stress your audience, your fans, We'll get that exercise stress. They'll probably like that. But when's the last time your body went more than, say, 16, 18 hours without food? Well, that's a bad thing, right? You are definitely have the physiology. Like, for example, do you know the longest recorded um, time someone's gone without food? I, I don't know, but i sure it's going to be a lot longer than people realize. Take a guess. How long do you think you can go before you die of starvation? Seven years. <laughs> not too far off. You're a lot closer than most people think. Uh, it's about 400 days. 
So a Scottish guy, now he's extremely obese, like 400-pound guy or something, and he lost 180 pounds, but he went over a year, almost 400 days without eating. Right? So now tell me that you can't go 24 hours. Like, you have the physiology to go probably easy. Most of us could go a week, seven days, without really any physiological consequences outside of mental Right? And you're like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. This sucks. But physiologically, most people are fine with seven days. So let's back that off even further. I challenge you then. Give me 24 hours one time. Like really go 24 hours. And you would be shocked at uh, the cellular debris cleaning and the processes that you have there to fight off illness and disease that never get actually turned on because we never go through this state that your body was actually designed or evolved to go through to optimize its own state. So fasting is a fantastic one. Um, like I said, heat, cold, hunger, I mean, you name it. We lay out all these in the book, and we, we give uh, guidelines, too, for, A, if you've never tried this, if you've done this a little bit, or if you're an expert, here's what we recommend, how often, how hard to do them, how long. Like, this stuff's all put in there. But I, I think it could be anything. Like, I think you can really, what, what's in your lifestyle? What do you think is something that you do that you've made your life really, 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 really easy? And what is something you would be excited to do or willing to do and try to do? Um, a great example I love to give with my friends who love nootropics and who love smart drugs and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, when's the last time you did something difficult mentally without taking your coffee and your smart drug? Right? Well, let's challenge that. That doesn't mean never use them. And so just like the tech, like we're not saying, you know, give up coffee. What I'm saying is, let's take a couple of days and let's say tomorrow you've got a very important meeting or you've got some really difficult mental task. Okay, sometimes choose the abundance. So choose the smart drug, sleep nine and a half hours today, you know, optimize your food, whatever, and crush it. Well, how about the next time, let's choose suffering a little bit and say, you know what? I'm not going to optimize, I'm going to not have any stimulant, I'm going to just have normal food, and I'm still going to fucking crush it. I'm going to show up and perform, and I know I'm not in my optimal state, but if you're optimal all the time, you're not adapting, ever. All right, so we have to be careful about optimizing our lifestyle at all times without having that balance of suffering. So if you go through some periods of fasting or some sleep deprivation well let's go through some periods of the opposite where i want you sleeping 10 hours a day for two weeks and let's really feel what it feels like to be be really actually slept but then let's go through you know a couple of days where we go through some low sleep or let's go through uh, a week or three days of being hypohydrated and now let's actually go through two or three weeks or a month being hyperhydrated like i want you to really optimize and start to feel the difference and give your body these little physiological challenges, um, but but you can't do it by being like, well, I'm going to take a week off and then I'm going to do this. No, like you still need to perform and execute because then it's actually usable in your life. And let's stop making excuses that you can't perform today because you're hangry because you haven't had a meal in six hours. Really? Like, really? That's a behavioral and a mental issue. Get over it. You, you have the physiology. I promise you, you are not out of energy. Like, you feel sluggish because of a habit you've developed, but your body is fine. If there was something life-threatening on the line, you would snap out of this, and you would go into flow, and you would have no problem executing. So let's just do that without having to have an emergency. 
and and I think that is something that's sustainable and is going to lead to healthier practices over time because it's not that difficult to survive with the technology now. But man, when we're 70, whew, I don't know what it's going to be like at all. It's going to be tough. So let's build that infrastructure now uh, so we can survive the future. Yeah, I, I, I like that point because really, it, life's pretty easy for me. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm living in America. I'm a 31-year-old white male. Right. Decent income, like life's pretty damn easy at this point. <laughs> yeah, ditto, man. Like my old high school baseball coach, um, he he was a Vietnam vet, and he used to say this all the time. And I can't remember the exact examples, but you'll get the point. He would say something like, "You think you're stressed? Like, <laughs> we live in Southwest Washington. We're in the middle of the country. There's you know, you, your high school is 300 kids in it. You're the star captain, baseball of, of everything, right?" And, and like we don't really do any work in class. Like you think you're stressed, and then he'd go on these huge, just like tirades of like stressed is coming home from a war and everybody hating you, and you just lost your leg, and then you show up and your wife has got a kid with two other guys, and uh, you you know, your plumbing is leaking, shit's flying up everywhere, and then you're out of dog food. You're like, now that's stress. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, all right, my life's pretty easy at this point. I mean, those are great example. I love. Um, you said you listen to podcasts. Have you listened to uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History? Uh, almost exclusively, yeah. I mean, a- every single episode is fantastic. <laughs> Dude, right? okay. So do you remember the one he did uh, when he was talking about um, the wars in, in France, World War One? And Yes. He'd go through like seven hours of uh, this one battle or something in, in Austria or whatever, and he would talk about how people would, would live months at a time like in a mud pit. And you're like, holy shit. And just the extremes that people lived in, the conditions where their feet are rotting underneath them and they're they're literally sleeping on piles of dead bodies because if they lifted their head up, they'd get shot out with a mortar or something and and all like all this stuff and they would they were literally eating shoes and you know all this stuff and got cannibalism happened. And like, this is our parents. Like, this is our grandparents. This is not some, like, ancient generation, 55 generations ago of, of tribal hillsmen. Like, this is your grandpa did this and survived it. Like, what have you ever done that is even remotely as physiologically difficult as that? Which tells me you have the physiology to do so much more. And there's a consequence to never, and I'm not advocating going to that extreme, but there's a consequence of never actually, really, actually challenging your body. And I know you did a super hard CrossFit workout one time or something, and that was a horrible 20 minutes. But, you know, like, let's hike for 19 hours a day for 20 days straight with no food. Like, this is what I'm real talking about in terms of that's a physiological stressor that, that really puts your body to limits. So... We're not going to get all the way there, and probably nor should we, but let's really have some perspective about what we're doing in our lives that's really actually physically challenging versus it's not that hard. Uh, I, I feel like I'm going to look at just a lot of things differently after this chat, so thank <laughs> you. I mean, this is there are a couple big ones here. I try and take something away from everybody I talk to, so there are some things really floating in my mind here, Andy, so I want to just say thank you for that. Um, one thing I want to go back to because I'm curious. I mean, we talked about uh, like the the ten elders or whatever it was in World War oh, Z, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and 
I'm curious either like maybe five or ten people that would be like in your personal mastermind where you would kind of want these people uh, on speed dial like to, to kind of run these questions through uh, or whatever questions are coming up where you have a big thing that you just want to talk and just hash out with people. Dude, Henry Rollins, number one. I, I love Henry Rollins so much. Uh, that guy's amazing. I don't know if you've seen much of his work. Um, I, I'm not a punk rock fan. Like, I don't enjoy a single song he's ever made in his life. <laughs> so it's not like I loved his music. But, but um, if you've ever read his essay, I think it's called The Iron, something like that. But I read it, uh, you know, Chris, my old friend Chris Moore showed it to me years ago. And then we went down and I watched Henry speak live. And I followed his stuff since. And you can see him all over YouTube and everything, but just the way his, the way his mind works is so impressive. Uh, he just really sees things. He challenges assumptions, which is something I really, really enjoy. Um, that I'm like, man, he's just a really, really sharp dude. So he's, he's very high on my list. Um, Alton Brown. I love Alton Brown. The guy from uh, the old show Good Eats. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's fantastic. I, again, I just I just love the way that he can take things and really deliver it in a message that is so so sneaky in terms of its entertainment or in terms of its educational value. That you're like, I remember when the whole gluten thing got big, and I remember thinking like, what? Well, why are people kind of about gluten? And I knew exactly what it was, and I had a PhD in biochemistry at the time, and I only knew that word because of of Alton Brown. Like I, had, I never came across in any of my physiology or any of those things. Like I didn't know what it was, and I'm like, oh, okay, it's this protein that's folded up in in flowers and stuff. And great, and like I didn't know, understand why people were getting so freaked out about it, but I knew exactly what it was because of Alton Brown. And um, so it's just his way to convey a ton of scientific information through to people who don't oh don't care about science. They're like, oh, I don't like the sciencey stuff. I just want to learn how to cook. Uh, like he just he is very very sneaky like that. So. You could tell that he's operating on a much, much higher level, and then he sort of distills it down. So I think just the way that he sees the world, too, is is, uh, is really impressive and insightful um, for me. And then, you know, my other biggest one was my friend Chris Moore. He was the same thing for me. Like, he just he saw things a lot differently. And that was a fun one in particular because I got to watch him evolve because he wasn't like that. And I, I just threw all the things he was doing. I just watched this guy change in front of my face. And even today, I'll still go back and listen to his old podcasts because each time I do, like just listening to him speak, and you can hear the evolution just. Oh yeah. As you go through the episodes too. Right, and there was a ton of things that I disagreed with him on, but that was the beauty. Is like I I always knew that if I thought I had a grip of something, like he was always going to screw with it. Ah. <laughs> Man, so like he's he's uh, he was just a great person for me to learn from, and I that's probably the part I miss him the most about him is just like I knew that oh more than almost any of my other friends or people I interact with, I knew something was coming out of left field with him. So that was uh, you know um, something I really cherished about him. But yeah, those guys would all come to mind for the most part. Um, I. I want to say thank you for that because a lot of times I'll ask people these questions too and I'll get much more like, don't get me wrong, like Einstein, but Einstein is still an awesome answer, but these are a little bit more obscure and 
I think the Alton Brown one threw me the most when you said that. That that was that's a great answer because if you, I I, I remember just watching these shows growing up, like when he was on the Food Network or whatever, and yeah. the depth that he would go into, and yet it was still just an amazing show that really hooked you in. Yeah, I watch it all the time still to this day, and uh, I'm like, man, like I, I watch it now, even though I'm seeing the episodes, and I'm actually just dissecting the way he went about it, and I can see on the back end, I could see him writing the segments and I could see him being like, how the hell am I going to convince people that, uh, you know, you don't want to overbeat your dough and it's going to do this. And like, okay, boom. And then, well, and, and now like the stuff he's doing with his live performance where he's taking, uh, uh, fire extinguishers and making soda and he's making ice cream and stuff. And you're like, dude, okay. He really, really gets it. Uh, so he's sure. And those ones, you know, like the, those are the ones I pick because I have such personal connections with them. In terms of, like, I've never met any of them, but they had such uh, clear altered the trajectory of my life. Uh, the same thing with with even um, Christopher Hitchens. You know, so he he did a similar thing. Hitchens is just amazing. His uh, his command of the language is something I love. Like, I love people linguists, and I love people that can play. This is why I love uh, I, I love lyrical hip hop so much too uh hitchens did it in a different medium but his his approach and like i remember the first time i watched his his little documentary on why mother Teresa is a terrible person (laughs) (laughs) like like politics aside i don't even care but just his again his way of being like well is this really 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 true that we're hearing all the time and then just to dive deep into something question facts and question truth and things like that uh and then his, of course, if you've ever seen his YouTube videos, he just had that other gear uh, when he spoke. Like, it, no one really had his presence or command on the mic that you could just be like, wow, I've entirely captivated another audience, which is something I, I enjoy, you know, as a teacher. Like, just the ability, the ability to command an audience. And just, he never had a slip and never had a chunky delivery on something. And he was so articulate that, yeah, all those folks are people. I'd be like, man, I, w- I would love to throw these things out. I guarantee you, I would, if Hitch was still around, I would, and if I knew him at all, I'd send him my book, and he would come back and tell me how terrible it was, and I missed the boat entirely. Like, ah, like I didn't see it. I wasn't thinking big enough yet, you know. So, yeah, he's awesome. Well, Andy, I, I wanna I wanna bring to closing here uh, our chat because this has been awesome. But last question I ask everybody who comes on the show is. Who would you want to hear on this podcast, and what is it that you would either specifically ask them, or what would you just want to hear them talk about? Oh, man. Um, I would probably enjoy hearing... Um, I, I'm currently the uh, really into kind of the history of the field. Uh, part of it had to do with you know some of the episodes we wrote. but So I would really, really like to see and maybe I'll kind of throw this back at you, is some of the people who were founders of the physical therapy movement, um, I just don't know who those people are, but surely somebody was the Bob Hoffman of physical therapy. Um, Somebody laid the foundation for the Mike Boyles and the stuff to come along. So if that person, whoever they are, and if they're still around, I would love to, to see that and, you know, where it's changed and what it was. Like, I know Thomas DeLorme, was big, uh, but he was from the 40s, 30s. And that's and the problem. Most of the like the true pioneers yeah. of PT 
really aren't around anymore i might have to just like still go maybe like second generation see like if i can get at least to that point yeah i mean maybe even check with some of those boils and stuff and see like who inspired them or what was their early writings and stuff and see if you can go back generation you know i was able to to get um a guy named michael yeses to talk uh he was one of the guys who made the word plyometric um popular he's in his 80s like 85 he gave a guest lecture to my students, and that was awesome. Uh, so some of those folks are still around and kicking. Um, so, yeah, anyone like that, I'll give you the the, the work to do the I, investigation. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll have to do my research here and see who still uh, would be available to uh, have a fun chat like this. Yeah, for sure. So, Andy, in closing, where can listeners find out more about you? I mean, the podcast, the book. I mean, just, hey, if if they want to come, uh, maybe maybe take some classes with you, whatever it is, uh, where can they find out more about you? Man, I'm all over right now. Uh, I have like the worst marketing strategy ever because I don't care about that stuff. <laughs> uh, like I'm in 75 different directions, but I'll try to remember them all. Uh, yeah, the podcast is called The Body of Knowledge, and that's just thebodyofknowledge.com. It's on iTunes, all that stuff. We actually just finished, so it's a little bit different where um, it's only nine episodes, that's it. It's just not like an on-running weekly thing like yours or something like that. And we do some different things with it. So we just finished. Uh, the episodes are up. And if you haven't listened, you can go back and start with Chapter 1 and kind of read or listen along. Um, so it's only nine hours total or something like that. And it's kind of a story that we use throughout the whole thing. So uh, there's that. The book is called Unplugged, Evolve from Technology to Upgrade Your Fitness, Performance, and Consciousness. And you can check that out on athleteunplugged.com or um, on Facebook. All this stuff is on Facebook. Uh, the book is out, coming out July. Hold on, I gotta look. Uh, July 11th. Uh, but it's up for pre-sale on Amazon right now, and you can get a discount if you buy it right now. Uh, it was cool. We had uh, Laird Hamilton, Kelly Starrett, Tim Ferriss all wrote sections of the book for us. Uh, so. It's pretty cool, uh, in addition to some others. Um, so that's all available. You can always catch me on Barbell Shrug from time to time, that little podcast that you may have heard of. Uh, and then my website is the last one I'll give you, which is just my name, andygalpin.com. And that's moving a little slow right now because of these 7,000 other projects. <laughs> but basically what that is is the place where I take all of my lectures and uh, I throw them up there for free. So there's no newsletter, there's no upgrade to pay. Like it's all free and it, and it always will be. And those are in five minute, twenty five minute, or fifty five minute chunks, depending on how crazy you want to get. Uh, and it's all up on YouTube too, but it's on the website, so you can go learn about any lecture I give uh, for any of my classes. And and if uh, you're considering grad school, you can check out uh, uh, Cal State Fullerton for your master's in strength conditioning or whatever you want to be. And, um, we're full for this year, but we'll be looking for people for next year. Excellent. Andy, thank you so much. Uh, make sure everybody go start checking all this stuff out. Uh, the, the body of knowledge has been, that's one of my favorite new podcasts just because of the different styles. So I really encourage people, uh, for sure. Check that out. I mean, everything else, barbell shrugged, like a huge fan yeah. of, uh, but unplug the book when it comes out, this is all going to be awesome. So again, Andy, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time, man. That was a fun conversation. It was really good. That was uh, way more fun than I'm used to on these things. Way more. So great job. Excellent. Thank you. 
Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to check out the show notes for today's episode. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and the show is sponsored by you guys. Each of you that I work with helps me to be able to put out podcasts like this for free. So thanks again for your love and support. Finally, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health podcast a positive comment and five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others. So thank you. Mm-hmm.